0: Before we get the show rolling today, I'd just like to remind everyone about the Kino Lefter live show that's coming up on March 28th at 7 p.m. at the Metro Cinema. Um, It is going to be a banger with our good friends at Modern Manhood podcast. It will be a full-strength podcast for those of you who are wondering... Why uh the Avengers have not assembled um in a while you will be able to see them assemble live. I hate myself for saying that <laughs> anyway you're listening to uh kino lefter um we're a socialist podcast that talks movies uh I'm at I'm Abdul at uh Unband me Jack
1: and I am Evan at Mcdonald tweets um I am very excited for this week's show um i I did not expect too much from uh, the movie of the week uh, and not to skip straight to my feelings on it, but I was quite pleased with my matinee price <laughs> for my ticket. Uh, we watched uh, Lee Wannell's Bloomhouse produced the invisible man.
0: Um, I think it's worth mentioning. Evan and I are in the same city today, but if you're wondering why we are recording apart, cause you can obviously tell, um, I have a extremely sick cat at home who won't slop, stop slobbering, and Evan is uh, also extremely sick. So we are—I uh, yeah. l- think we live like five kilometers apart from each other. Uh, that's uh, about two miles for the Americans. Um, I don't know if that's two miles for the Americans. I have no idea what that is. But uh, but maybe yeah, maybe like
1: three. Maybe like three miles. I'm not going to bother looking it yeah. up. <laughs> I'm not going. Uh,
0: yeah. Yeah. I
1: fucked up an entire side of my body from coughing so much. Um, there hopefully will not be any coughing, uh, in this episode. Um, but yeah, yesterday, uh, or maybe two days ago I was coughing and then I felt a distinct pop in my side. Um, so it's kind of like, it's getting better, but yeah, it's been like hurting to breathe and everything else, but You know, there are some fates worse than physical pain. I have to, Uh,
0: I have to tell you this anecdote, Evan, with the cat. Like I, so I, like my bed, like the headboard of my bed is against uh, the window, right? Which has like a ledge where the cat likes to jump up. And I was awoken two days ago, like with like dripping on my face. (laughs) And I like looked up and like because my cat won't stop hyper salivating it was like a scene out of alien (laughs) where i just like looked up and i saw the drool just coming down on me out of this like cat's open jaws (laughs) and that's beautiful uh, it was terrifying it was disgusting like the entire house is all the floor is basically covered in like a film of drool and like we can't mop it up because it'll just get drooly again. Like we have to wait for the stomach bug to pass and wear slippers everywhere we go. Uh, yeah, it is vile. Um, much like toxic masculinity. (laughs) There it is. Um, yeah. Uh, Evan, you had a tangent before I rudely interrupted you.
1: Oh no. Uh, so, uh, sick kitties, hashtag prayers up for Merlin, um, being injured, uh, you know these these are kind of you, you know very physical kinds of pain. What if you were psychologically tortured by an evil billionaire for months into believing that you're insane? Huh? Yeah. Oh, that's not a, very, not a very good tangent, but uh, is a tangent. we watched it. it. Technically, it did the job. Um, so um, yeah, let's get into the plot of the Invisible Man. So um, Cecilia, played by Elizabeth Moss, is in a relationship with uh, this guy, Adrian, who's a tech billionaire. Um, And uh, the opening of the film is she escapes from him. Um, Her sister and uh, some friends are helping her out. Um, And then she learns that Adrian has committed suicide um, and has left uh, a few million dollars for her um, in his will contingent that uh, she does not commit any crimes and she is deemed mentally competent. So um, not, she's a suspicious,
0: current... not a suspicious kind of stipulation at all, by the way.
1: Oh, absolutely not. It's very normal. Um, so then she's spending more time, uh, like, at this friend's house, you know, uh, but she, like, has this sneaking suspicion that she's, she feels like she's being watched. Um, and then, like, some strange occurrences start happening. She sees footprints. Um, there's a terrifying scene of, like, photos getting taken of her uh, by a floating phone. Um and then, uh, yeah, she comes to learn that Adrian is probably still alive, but he is invisible.
0: Yeah, um, I completely miss the floating phone bit. Like, I, I've been having a depression haven't left the house in like three weeks. Um, and I'm pretty sure that was cut out for the slotlights.com ad. Uh, or yeah which, the, the
1: uh pinata or slot machine or whatever was covered yeah up the like, invisible man throughout the whole movie
0: like whenever that banner came up i turned away and i'm pretty sure that's exactly what was happening in the scene because i really couldn't figure it the fuck out but uh yeah i got the gist of it yeah she finds out uh, adrian is alive she goes to his house discovers that he has an invisibility suit um she uh takes one home with her uh he kills her sister in a restaurant and makes it look like she did it she gets committed to an asylum where no one believes her uh but then adrian overplays her his hand and she rips off the suit and was a fantastic sequence of violence um and discovers that no it was in fact his brother and the real adrian was kept uh kept hostage but then she goes to Adrian's uh, mansion to have dinner with him and finds out he orchestrated this all along and uh, he is the person he was supposed to be. And um, yeah, then she uh, she puts on the suit and murders him, making his death look like a suicide. At this point, it's public knowledge that the suit exists. So uh, I don't know what the speculation on what happens after the credits might be on that. Um, and then she uh, she goes home with her invisibility suit kicking off uh uh you know a franchise where you know if you stay past the credits she has a press conference and people are asking like you know who is the invisible man who is the invisible man then she uh she looks at the cameras and says i am the invisible woman um yeah yeah that
1: happens yeah (laughs) that happens and then uh elizabeth moss gets back to uh her home and then nick fury's uh waiting for her uh, and he's like Shit, I didn't see you. I guess you're the Invisible Woman, and we need you for a team of Draculas and Frankensteins. The League um, of
0: Extraordinary Gentlemen, if you will.
1: Yeah, um, the funny thing before, before we get into this movie, um, so uh, Invisible Man, we watched it. It's a movie that came out, um, but for some reason, Elizabeth Banks is directing a movie called The Invisible Woman, um, it's likely not like a sequel to this because she's also <laughs> starring in it, but it's also coming out from Universal. Um, so the Dark Universe is resting in peace so hard that they are just like accepting any possible pitch for these Universal monster movies. Sometimes uh, you get a Homer um, and sometimes you get a Charlie's Angels-esque movie about invisible woman elizabeth banks
0: needs to be stopped the amount of like sheer warren energy present within we're already beginning with the toxic masculinity by the way for those wondering um we are on track to have laura back uh for next week so uh keep your eyes the skies on that one um as she her plane comes back from columbia um but yeah like um Elizabeth Banks needs to be stopped. Like the more I think about Charlie's Angels, the more it, it's like stands out as a one of the more memorable films we've done for the podcast and for all the wrong reasons.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, like it was it was very, very bad. Uh
0: but that's because it wasn't directed by a man. Um Oh no. <laughs> uh so there's I think it's worth this film is is being hailed as like the the first, like, genuine Me Too horror film I personally feel like that's a stretch um yeah i i
1: don't know so i i was thinking about this question um because that's a way that a lot of the coverage has been uh of this movie i feel like that kind of undermines what this movie is doing i don't think that's like like to just like frame like shit like because this movie's about domestic abuse uh it's about gaslighting uh, it's about the control that men have over women. Um, just to phrase those kinds of questions, always within, like, the framework of the Me Too movement, yeah. I think it's, like, troubling, I'll say. Um, like, Because, like, not this, this isn't going to be our Red Scare episode, but, like, there are obviously issues with, like, car- the carceral feminism that is kind of baked into a lot of Me Too discourse. I'm not saying that, like, you know, there hasn't been a lot of, like, valuable progress made within that but like i this movie doesn't really fall within that framework i think and to just like attach kind of the narrative of like ah, oh, yes the invisible man is harvey weinstein and elizabeth moss is like his assistant Ah, oh, we've made a bold political statement like i i think that's like really unfair like the director lee Wanell, um he interviewed like a lot of uh like counselors at like la women's shelters to like get a good sense of like the story and like Eliz- uh, elizabeth moss um got like approval over her lines and like got to work on the script with him so like i don't think this is just like a cash in or something on the me too movement i think it's certainly timely um and like of issues that people are talking about but I, I don't think that framework is very fair.
0: It also like completely denies the like you know history of like uh, women's horror cinema and stuff like that, right? Like it this the idea of like feminist horror films isn't new, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and it's not like Laywanel made anything like fresh or exciting. I agree, the film is very good and very well done, but it's like it's not it's not an explicit movie about the me too movement. It just like sort of speaks to the invisible man of the patriarchy um, or invisible hand. uh, Oh, you know, and stuff like that. But it's not like an art house metaphor for, yeah, you're right. Like the Harvey Weinstein stuff. Right. Um, And this, again, this idea of like applying like every film is political, but not every film, uh, you know, necessarily speaks to a political moment. Right. I think, that's always worth uh, mentioning is like every film has a set of political values. It wears one way or another, most of the time I would argue um, intentionally, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's uh, politically in the zeitgeist, so to speak. Um,
1: Yeah. And like, I I think this movie, like, I I think it's a really nice uh, like adaptation of the universal monsters because like, uh the the kind of like original inception of invisible man is like ah yes i can take over the world because i'm invisible and like i don't think that's maybe as potent an idea uh today as it was in like 1933 um well hollow but like, man
0: the the paul Verovin movie is another good example right where it's um, not to cut you off, but that film was like the the antithesis of this one, right? Where it was like a man who turns invisible and is acting out all of his like horrific, like sexually violent desires on people.
1: Yeah, and and like it, like this movie, I I think is like genuinely frightening. Like we live in like like a lot of this film, kind of subtextually, is about like information technology and like um like the ways we communicate with one another um which i mean we can we can get into soon but like i yeah like obviously i feel like this movie is very modern and kind of speaking to you know the times we live in but like i i think what it's what it's ultimately about isn't like i i don't know it's it's not kind of the same narrative that we see within like hegemonic me too discourse. I mean, especially the ending it's, it's, I I mean, it's a lot of this movie is framed around like suffering injustice and like finding ways to survive and eventually like gain vengeance or some modicum of power. Um, I think both over like oppressive systems, but also like people. Um, So yeah, I, I think like one could apply um, like that lends to this movie and obviously there's a lot to delve into but like yeah like you were saying before like there are plenty of feminist horror films uh, and like the role of women as both like victim uh, and like Avenger uh, is like deeply rooted in the genre um, so I think this fits very neatly into that kind of pre-existing structure
0: the ending was probably the part of the movie I liked the least like that's when I thought it it sort of took one out like you mentioned carceral feminism and that's where I felt like it really had this uh that like idea brought to the forefront whereas like for the rest of the film I was pretty impressed with uh especially for like a director like Lewin L right like how restrained it was um like the the violence is genuinely shocking the like methodology by which uh the titular invisible man goes about like enacting his a uh, plan to like drive um elizabeth moss crazy is like you know it's it's very scary because it preys upon her social relationships more than it directly preys upon her right which i you mentioned this is very yeah that's like um i think it's a testament to how how effectively this movie is done because that really is the scariest part is knowing something and no one believing you um but uh one of the things I think that's worth kicking off with. So the first uh, 10 minutes of this movie is like a masterclass in like how to make a thriller. Um it's Elizabeth Moss uh drugging her like abusive partner who's keeping uh, her locked in his mansion and escaping, right? And it's just a a very scary scene, but there's no there's no real violence to it at all. It's just her you you know exactly what's happening, you know exactly what she's doing, you know exactly how she might be like fucking up. Um, and she just escapes by like the skin of her teeth in her sister's car, and he breaks the window, and that's probably the only violent moment in that entire um sequence um uh but Leo onenell mentioned that <clears throat> when he did test screenings for this movie test screening the audiences were saying well we need to we need to see more right? what they were talking about was we need to see how he is abusing her in order to justify this moment, <laughs>
1: oh my God.
0: Um, And and he he you know fought to not do that to just stick to his guts in terms of like making that opening effective and he's like nothing I show like what they wanted was the scene of her like I don't know um, doing something and then he comes over and she like snipes at him and he like hits her or something like that right that's the way he described it was the moment they wanted Um, and he was like well no because nothing I could ever direct could reasonably uh make up for whatever the audience is imagining right um and that is like i think it's so telling also for talking about you know our current moment um it's stuff like that where i think you know uh, behind the scenes where the film speaks to it the most deeply because like what does that say more about like our desire to see like violence inflicted on people or our desire to like justify women leaving their abusers right i i don't know but it's like extremely fucked up.
1: Yeah, like to hear this just like makes me infuriated because like I like I think the the opening uh like sequence of this movie was like genuinely like breathtaking. It was so tense and so well executed and it's just like a very simple premise, right? And you know exactly what's happening, why she's doing this and there's no there's barely any dialogue uh throughout this. Um and she's just escaping From this, like basically the house from Parasite, (laughs) Um, because, you know, the wealthy love uh, keeping us trapped. Um, Like, there's a sequence where she's literally like climbing a wall to try and escape, you know, the oppressive, you know, structure that she's in. Um, But, like, there is literally no need to elaborate on what Elizabeth Moss is feeling towards Adrian. Like, like, as you were saying, like, it's all communicated through her fear. Um, and, like, I've had people very close to me uh, be in situations like this um, where they need to escape uh, from partners like this. And, like, to imagine that, like, someone who's watching this movie either, like, doesn't understand what's going on or needs it, like, justified in some other way, I think does speak um to maybe like the backlash to the me too movement or like maybe just like how men or people who don't believe women generally are, um, is just like, Oh, like somehow this is Elizabeth Moss's fault or she's overreacting, um, or something else like, Oh, like as if there's like a a gradient of acceptable abusive behaviors and the audience needs to be invited to make their own, Uh, justification uh, as to whether or not she's, like, good to escape from him. Um, And I think that one scene where she's describing what he, like, would do to her, to her friends afterwards, I thought it was strangely misplaced. Um, And it was likely inserted for some of the reasons you were talking about, where um, her sister, who is a very interesting character, who is not the most supportive person, um her sister's
0: like, like a piece of shit in this movie. Yeah. Like it's it's weird that they killed the sister because she is the least sympa maybe that's why they killed her. She's the least um sympathetic character in all of this.
1: Yeah, like it, it's interesting because like she was able to show up uh to save Cecilia um from Adrian. Um but then there's like this almost um like like this almost voyeuristic Feeling where she says, "No, I want you to tell me what he did to you, right? Like I need to be let in on this secret, right? As if it's almost gossip." Um, and like I don't know if, and I I think it may have been you know inserted for the audience, but like it this character is also on an interesting trajectory because like we would usually assume that like you know another like you know woman character would be like a staunch ally. Um, of like another woman who's experiencing this kind of abuse, like I feel like we would experience kind of this stereotypical story where she gets like uncompromising love and support, especially from a family member, but she is easily turned away from Cecilia. Um, like she, like you know, may not believe what she's going through, um, and we're we're gonna start talking about the gaslighting a little bit, but like Adrian sends her sister an email from uh, Cecilia's account saying that she doesn't want anything to do with her. And, like, she knows that she was in a relationship with this incredibly powerful tech CEO who's also a master of optics. That's, like, said from the beginning. Yeah, the master
0: Um, optician, which, uh, you know, like, I really hope this film ignites um, a generation of kids to be as scared of eye doctors as they are of dentists. (laughs) like that would uh, rule
1: (laughs) but yeah i i thought it was interesting how like um the movie doesn't just like accept this kind of simple politics of like you know like men are abusers or are more prone to not believing you um because like one of the most supportive figures she has in her orbit like is a black man and like who's also a
0: cop (laughs) by the way
1: yeah who's also a cop um but like before i realized that he was a cop i was just like oh, like this is good the movie isn't really like commenting on it it's like oh we can just have like this supportive figure in her life um while her sister is being terrible <laughs> to her um i i thought it was kind of like a nice like pseudo family dynamic that um uh the guy his daughter and elizabeth moss have and like obviously like the machinations of the invisible man, like destabilize that in like a really horrifying way. Um, but I, I think that the way this movie captures the complexity of support structures for people who are like fleeing abuse, uh, who are survivors of that, um, was particularly interesting.
0: Um, yeah, like what I appreciate, and I think this is a comment on Bloomhouse in general is Bloomhouse? Um, they put together their films very quickly. So Black Christmas was pitched in June, for example, shot in September, and then released in December, which is um, like a nothing timeline for a movie. It's it's incredibly short from like pitch to writing to production to release. Um, and uh, Fantasy Island, which came out to a 6% Rotten Tomatoes score, uh, had, like, a very similar process uh, where they, in fact, it, it seemed like, I watched a video on it recently, it seemed like they made the movie so they could rent a cruise ship for four weeks and go to Fiji and vacation while also making a movie, which, to be fair, fucking rules. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but I, when it works, when it doesn't work, it really doesn't work, but when it works, it works really well because, like, this film felt like it, it didn't second guess itself at any point aside from that one scene you mentioned, like it felt like it was like a very natural writing process. It felt like it was put together very quickly, but like with enough time to with, uh, without enough time to be like, Hey, like, are we getting into the weeds in this? Are we going to add in like an explicit me too metaphor, this and that. Right. And it, it really works in the film's favor because I think it's, and it is often disjointed. It, it can sometimes feel like it's three different movies. um, But, like, the way it demonstrates each of those parts is, like, remarkably well done.
1: Yeah, um, and I I think one of the uh, uh, compelling things about Bloomhouse, like, their whole mantra is, like, spending very little amounts of money across a huge number of projects. uh, And the ones that hit will make up for the failures in spades. Um, so like, yeah, they get movies like Fantasy Island, which like only freaks like myself are going to go see, uh, for some like, you know, twisted reason. Um, but like, they also make like the purge movies, uh, and like insidious. So like the, the profit that they get from those allows them to like keep funding these movies. And And the hunt,
0: by the way, the hunt is also coming.
1: Oh Oh Jesus. The trailer for that looks so bad, but I know we'll, I know we'll be drawn to it. Fate has put us on an inextricable collision course with the Hunt movie. Um, But uh, yeah, like I think it's interesting how uh, Blumhouse is like, and I I mean, it's another reason why we do the podcast because, you know, we recognize like the media that we consume is like, you know, full of like, not just like political potential, but like the means of production around them uh, are interesting to interrogate. Like, Bloomhouse films always try to have, like, an aspect of social commentary within them. Like, it isn't just like a, oh, like, we've we created the newest twisted serial killer, and he's going to do really nasty things. Like, uh, I really liked the new Halloween film, um, and that's, I, I mean, it's a little bit overused at this point, but it's a film that's all about, like, intergenerational trauma and, like, the bonds between women and family and how, and I mean, you know, the Halloween franchise, like Michael Myers is just a representation of evil. Um, so like how that, you know, pain infects the other people uh, in like the life of this person. So um, I, I think that when, and I mean, obviously, you know, they produce Get Out, but that's, you know, fucking Jordan Peele's movie. Um, well, they like, also Bloom get House... good
0: directors, right? That's, that's yeah, the exactly. other part of it is like they got... Um... Leonelle is a is a fine director, you know whatever whatever, but yeah, getting someone like Jordan Peele to make a movie is really good. What are I know there's a director I'm missing. I just had his name on the tip of my tongue. Ah fuck, mm. I can't remember it. But like yeah, they they have also like a reliable stable of people who deliver on time and on budget but also come in with like really big ideas. Um and like just jason bloom in general is uh you know he's he's a business master but at the same time like when we talk about like you mentioned the means of production we talk about making movies like the movies we like to go to a the theater to see under socialism i expect it would be i mean we'd be in a moneyless society but i expect that the way the resources are divided would be fairly similar to like a jason bloom model of filmmaking more than say a james cameron model of filmmaking
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like, I I think it provides, like, not just, like, interesting genre fare, um, because I think Blumhouse does that really well. It always feels like there's, like, some kind of, like, new twist on an idea or some kind of, like, new entry point into, uh, like, a typical genre film that we don't usually see. But yeah, it's like, I would much rather, like, seeing a dozen Invisible Mans uh, this year than, like, you know, Avatar 2. Because we know what Avatar 2 is going to be. And, like, I think that one aspect of, like, the capitalist mode of production in film is that it almost eliminates the notion of surprise, uh, especially within, like, the, like, cinematic universe kind of post-Marvel moment that we're in, where it's, like, everyone needs to know all of the movies that are going to be released five years from now, and they need to know the actors who are going to be in them. And the sequels that they're going to be able to do, and it needs to follow a pre-existing, you know, IP. Um, whereas, like this gets to be like a nice surprise. It doesn't have to be connected to the uh, the uh, fascinating introduction and the epic conclusion of the Dark Universe, The Mummy. Um, it just gets to exist, be its own thing. It gets to be enjoyed, you know, be very profitable, and then we can move on. And they can use this money to, you know, fund films from interesting directors who may not otherwise have been able to make these movies. So, um, I think that's, I think, you know, there aren't too many good capitalists, but Jason Bloom gets a pass for me.
0: Yeah. I think the two most interesting, um, uh, sort of studios, so to speak that are producing today might be, um, Blumhouse, A24 and, um, whatever company is commissioning the Travis Scott music videos. Um, those three are like the current trifecta of most interesting media being produced in the Western canon uh, right now. Um, I re-watched the I watched the video for Sicko Mode that sent me down a rabbit hole to like six more and damn, they're good. Um,
1: it's, it's so phenomenal. One movie that we definitely missed from uh, which I would strongly reconsider going back to watch, um, is the Octavia Spencer vehicle ma? Um, <laughs> I don't know if you've <laughs> heard about it before, I, I have, yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but uh, I I think the premise is fascinating of uh, allowing teenagers to party in your basement and then terrorizing them. Um, that
0: I that just sounds what, like my ex is dead. Ha, ha, ha. But it's comedy. That's comedy, folks. Uh, um, speaking of... Uh... Oh fuck, you gave me you gave me a setup for a sequitur and then I couldn't I forgot to take it. I don't remember what it was. Anyway, let's talk about abuse and gaslighting in this oh, speaking of sicko mode, uh let's talk about the abuse and gaslighting in this movie. Okay, um, sure. Yeah. Uh I don't know. I I thought its depiction of it was really well done. I thought like the sci fi twist or on what like abuse and gaslighting looks like was um I don't want. We use the word "interesting" a lot. It's compelling. Yeah, you know I mean, like it felt like a natural, like very cinematic elevation of these ideas as they're experienced normally, just like heightened to a degree that uh, makes it interesting on camera. And like that is one of the things that worked. Like the scenes where he's in the house and like taunting her, where he's like you know walking around her bedroom or sitting on a chair, but she can't see him. She can only see the impression he leaves on the chair, or when she's um going nuts and like throwing coffee on the floor so she can see his footsteps if he decides to like walk towards her um like they all felt like ex- like you know again heightened versions of very natural behaviors
1: yeah and and like not to not to get too much into it but like I've been in like a not completely dissimilar position that you know Cecilia starts off in in this movie and the way that is interacting with the world and her house feels very, very true to life. Um, so I, I think that um, this notion and like Tom, the invisible man's brother says this, it's like, like, don't let Adrian haunt you, um, which I mean, is obviously like a victim blaming statement of like, it's, it's like the survivor's responsibility to get over abuse um, or like, that you can like heal uh, from something by just like ignoring it or being like, you know what, like, I'm a better person. It's not going to bother me. Like, no, like, and and this movie isn't about like capital T trauma in like a way that most like horror movies or just movies try to be. And they're like, ah yes, I've made an important statement about trauma. But like, this is like, I think it's like a really brilliant execution of like, what makes the premise of, like, the invisible man frightening, uh, in the first place, like, like, especially with the notion of, like, escaping an abuser, like, the shit stays with you, regardless of whether or not they have a suit that makes them invisible, um, like, these people get their power from trying to ruin your life and control the kind of person that you are, um, and that's, like, very clearly, like, in the text of this movie, and, like, the way, and obviously like the horror aspect of it, like, you know, does like still happen to people, like, hearing like the phone call or something, like there's a moment where, um, Cecilia tries calling Adrian and she hears, you know, a phone vibrate upstairs. Like, it it is reminiscent of like the feeling you have when you're getting stalked, for example, like um, having this sense that you are away from the pain and trauma, and then this like harsh realization that it's with you and it's very close and you're trying to be a powerful person get away from it but you can't and like i i think that the movie was like very humane uh in that sense um and uh yeah like the it the kind of i i was a bit hesitant about the movie at first it's like oh it's it's the sci-fi element but it's also trying to be about gaslighting like how is it going to execute this? But like you were saying before, Abdul, like the way that like the invisible man, like tries to tear apart Cecilia's world is by removing the ability to support herself through like the people close to her and poisoning those relationships. So I think that there's also kind of an implicit understanding that like healing is done in community and like community is a necessary condition uh, in order to like, try to like defeat the trauma of like abuse and stalking and everything else. Um, well,
0: um like one of like, the, Oh, sorry. Oh no, go ahead. One of the best parts of the movie is how she's trying to like adapt to normalcy again, right? Where she like goes and applies for a job but can't because there's uh, you know, trigger point in there that uh makes her faint. Like she um you know, tries to uh, you know give this family who sheltered her back uh, stuff for Christmas and like but he's always sort of implicitly within the picture because he leaves her a lot of money and and he's even when he's not invisible before we get to the part where he's like invisible he's still like haunting her life in a lot of ways Um yeah
1: a 100% and like yeah just to speak on the the job interview scene again like I felt so fucking gutted when that happens. So basically, uh, Cecilia is an architect, um, and she's going for a job interview at this architecture firm. Um, and she takes out, um, uh, her work and her bag is empty and it's been taken out. Um, and it's just like, you know, I, I don't want to say we've all been there, um, because that might not necessarily be true, but like you start to question like the nature of your reality, your own agency, Um, and I'm glad that like this movie like gives its characters enough humanity not to go like, not to have their first reaction be like, Oh my God, it's the invisible man. (laughs) Like, it's just like, Oh my God, like what's happening to me. Right. And she, yeah, she passes out from the strain of it. She's also being drugged at this point, um, by Adrian. Um, but yeah, that, and then he like later like leaves a sign that he did this. Like he has all of her architecture, um work like in the attic where he's been hiding um so yeah i i I think that yeah that was another moment where the movie really hits the nail on the head
0: yeah and i mean just in general like again none of this like i don't even know if we're doing a good job describing it but none of it is played uh gratuitously which i think is sort of a key part of this film and also why i don't think it's necessarily a um Hashtag Me Too horror film is, you know, part of the hype around Me Too is uh the disclosure of detail, right? Like we are perpetually hungry for, you know, the the details of like what Harvey Weinstein did or what anyone else did. And like, you know, you can argue about the um power of that in terms of articulating like someone's own like cruelty and like brutality and like just what it, fucking awful person they are but at the same time there is something weirdly voyeuristic about the way um you know people and journalists and especially figures in the media are like chomping at the bit to get that interview to get that scoop to get every detail right it's like one of the ways that tmz has trickled into the culture at large in a way that i would call like extremely unhealthy none of this is played with any sort of inkling of like Okay, this woman is coming forward and tell in telling her story. How do we protect other survivors of sexual abuse from um, perhaps feeling uh, uncomfortable or triggered by this? Right, um, and and in that way, the film actually holds back uh, really keenly, despite the fact that you know at every point we are understanding what uh, Elizabeth Moss is going through
1: yeah i I agree. and I think that uh, another interesting aspect of that is like the, like the the pathways out of this situation uh, that the movie presents, um, like at first, uh, we almost think that like having the truth revealed um is like a solution to what she's experiencing. Um, and that like, oh, like, you know, once people you know know that he's the invisible man. Like, Oh, everything's going to turn around. Um, but yeah, there's like a very shocking scene halfway through the movie that I think a lot of people have been talking about, or at least I've seen a lot of reaction to it where Elizabeth Moss, like, uh, sets a date with her sister, uh, to talk about, um, what she's been experiencing. And then, um, right before she says that, you know, Adrian has a suit that makes him invisible. Um, Like, a knife comes up and then slits her sister's throat, um, making her look like the murderer. So, like, there's this interesting, like, interrogation of power that's going on in the film. Um, And it's it's not... I, I don't think it's necessarily this narrative of, like, we need to take these bad men down, right? And we can do that through, like, institutions and the people in these institutions are going to believe me. And like, once we, you know, once my story is like refined enough for public consumption, then like, you know, the bad man will go to jail. Like it's, it's not doing that in an interesting way. Like Cecilia is the only person, uh, like who can solve this. I mean, like with, you know, some allyship from her friends. Um, but, like, she is facing, like, a truly, like, abominable power that is in, like, our world. Like, Adrian is a San Francisco tech billionaire. Um, he has more money than God. He lives in a walled-off estate with, like, passwords on the doors and security cameras. And, like, every aspect of his life is controlled. Like, this man's essentially, like, Mike Bloomberg or Elon Musk or something, He's, right? like,
0: gave a very, like, Elon Musk vibe. Like, um... I watched this with Megan and Megan asked me like, is this how Grimes feels? Um, when talking about Elizabeth Moss, which, uh, you know, I, I don't want to speak for Grimes, but, uh, I, if you're listening to this podcast, blink twice, please. Um, (laughs) um, but yeah, like, and this is also where I think that the, again, like our, our rush to find a political allegory rather than like, you know, inherent, Uh, political questions or thought within our cinema like and the two are very different you know again one is a statement of values the other is or an inculcation of values the other is is this uh equivocating you know what's happening in the cinema what's happening on the screen to what's happening in our everyday life but this thing about um this narrative about believing survivors that's uh, that came into the movie or is coming out of the movie in the form of like think pieces or whatever i don't know i'm not on twitter thank god for this movie um is frustrating because even on its face like what is happening in the movie is unbelievable you know like a man made a suit that makes him invisible completely um which like i guess you could stretch the metaphor to say that um oh that's how unbelievable the idea of powerful men abusing women is but it's not right it's it's just clearly not it's a question of we know it happens. It's just how we choose to prosecute, which is the difference, or how we choose to deal with it, which is the difference. And like for a long time, we just haven't. Um, but yeah, like the the believing survivor stuff in this movie, it's it's a plot device more than it is a statement of of political value. Like more of it, like I I buy the gaslighting and abuse narrative because it's there and it works and it's present and it says something. But the you know is she to be believed stuff is way more um just a yeah narrative hook because he's literally wearing a first of its kind invisible suit yeah
1: and like i i think that especially um like cecilia's institutionalization um and like the reasons why adrian is pursuing this uh i think like make it like a film like on its own merits that doesn't like because, yeah, I, I think to go back to one of my original thoughts was, like, to just say, like, ah oh, this is, like, the Me Too Invisible Man movie, like, I think is just lazy. Like, obviously, it's informed by the, you know, the times we live in, um, but, like, it's it's a very, like, smart, uh, like, look at, like, what powerful people can do when they think nobody's watching. Which is, like, again, like, it's capitalism, it's the world we live in, um, like, like, the things that these people do out in the open are awful enough, right? Um, but, like, it, it I mean, it's just like Jeffrey Epstein, right? Like, there's this almost, like, public condemnation of him, of, like, the state going, like, ah, oh, yes, Jeffrey Epstein, you're gonna, you know, get a little slap on the wrist, but you'll still be able to freely go to your office and all this other shit and keep abusing people. Um, um
0: like, I'm sorry, Evan. I just need to break some news to you. Sure. Uh, this has nothing to do with what we're talking about. You were making a very good statement, but uh, Hideo, okay. Hideo Kojima just posted to Instagram. Um, and it's, it's a photo of the protagonist from Death Stranding with a head crab on his head. And the caption is Death Stranding X Half Life. Um with with the copyright of the Valve Corporation and all that stuff there, like it it looks like there's going to be a half life death stranding crossover. Um well, that's pretty great. And uh holy fuck. I, I'm sorry, I know this has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but this is arguably the biggest news of the week. Uh fuck South Carolina, fuck Super Tuesday. <laughs> Um, Hideo Kojima and Gabe Newell are are on it together. I
1: love it. Uh, uh, back to Invisible so, Man. <laughs> yeah. Um, so here's a fun little thing. Mark Kermode, uh, probably my favorite movie reviewer, uh, he shared a screenshot uh, of some amazing British men reacting to uh, his review of Invisible Man. Um, so to be like a, a British right winger, like men's rights guy uh, is like, an incredible mindset on its own. Um, but there's this guy uh, whose uh, Twitter name uh, is followed by the Union Jack, the American flag, and the Israeli flag.
0: Whatever tweet you read, you have to do it in a British accent.
1: Oh, ooh. okay. I like that. say uh, film review. Mark Como currently reviewing The Invisible Man. Hollywood has reimagined the original story. It's now about men committing domestic abuse. Yes, the Invisible Man is now an abusive partner and his girlfriend needs to get rid of him. For fuck's sakes. And then a man called, I shit you not, The Boy Jones says... The Boy Jones, is- isn't it?" Oh, God, it's The Boy. Uh, <laughs> Kermode is fully infected with the BBC thing, no doubt about it. So, <laughs> if your original interpretation... So, this is fascinating. So, like, it's just, like, it's... It's exactly the Trump Sunset Boulevard thing. Um, although, like, obviously, like, Trump wanted to be a Broadway producer earlier in life, and I love that he's like, "Why don't we have Gone with the Wind back? Oh, Sunset Boulevard, classy movies, uh, um, the greatest guys, show on earth, folks." Yeah, like, <laughs> the, folks, remember Wings? Remember <laughs> the Gardner? She was beautiful. She was a smoke show. Um, like uh, this, this guy is like the beat. Oh, the bloody BBC is taking Invisible Man away from us. You know, we used to look up to the Invisible Man because he was a good bloke. Now, we're saying he's bad. Like the Invisible Man movie, literally has a cackling guy going, "Like I can't wait to be evil." <laughs> and like, it's like, what are these guys on? Like, I love just how stupid the internet makes us. Where it's like these guys who have like you know, nothing better to do are just like, I am going to tweet in the defense of the original 1933 Claude Rains, invisible man film. Um, and like position it as like, no, the plot of that movie is that the invisible man was really dope and awesome and a real man's man. And, uh, he was not a horror villain. And like, I is... love that.
0: <clears throat> That's something like, so specific about, um, like the universal movies one of the reasons they're so enduring is because they sort of they really do tap into like natural human instinct, right? Like who hasn't wanted to be um invisible at will? For example, who um you know doesn't want to have like an alter ego that does the shit that you know they think they should do but they're too scared to, IE Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde um or like bring uh you know people back from the dead? Uh, i.e. Frankenstein but also shows us very you know articulately the ways these things can go wrong um and like there is there and obviously there's stuff like the mummy in there which is capitalized on you know uh how much people loved Egypt at that time and shit like that but I think by and large like you know the universal movies are foundational horror and one of the reasons that they're they endure is because yeah they do tap into that and like you know, take it back to Paul Verovin's like Hollow Man again. Like that film is, again, like a uh, trigger warning. Don't watch it if uh, you know you you have a hard time with uh, extremely brutal subject matter. But that film is like sickening to watch, but it's also probably the most realistic depiction of what like you know I would argue a plurality of people might do if they realize they had that kind of power. Actually no, I don't want to be that like misanthropic, but I think that it it at the very least understands the desires inherent within some people and what happens when those desires aren't contained by, you know, normal, you know, living in society and stuff like that, right?
1: Yeah, um, and like um I I love the I love the universal monsters and like with the invisible man specifically, like the sense of like anonymity uh and like almost omnipotence that like this invisibility grants him like it's the absence of justice right it's like he, at, these actions can no exist in a vacuum. yeah um yeah because like no one can catch him like he can do whatever he wants right so like it's it's literally like a great counterpoint of like you know these are the behaviors we don't want to see in the world right and like how do we how do we bring like the most powerful people in our society to justice? Um, to go back to this British guy again, this I, there's so many layers to this. So this guy's uh, Twitter bio. <clears throat> to go back to the UK for a moment, bro. Men's rights, Brexit, capitalism, stand-up comedy, meat, dogs, bows, cricket, and rugby. Anti-EU, feminism, communism, the BBC. P.C. Bollocks, A.S.? I, it's probably some weird <laughs> Anglo-Saxons, I don't know. But um, so it turns out Mark Kermode didn't even review The Invisible Man. <laughs> like, this guy just, like, freaked out about Mark Hermode reviewing The Invisible Man. And he just replied, I've been off for a week.
0: yeah like Uh, as much as the right likes to parrot like i know it's almost a cliche at this point but as much as the like right likes to parrot like um you know generated hysteria and stuff like that some of which is actually very valid if uh, left-wing movements um it the reactionary right does it arguably all the time you know uh taking small these like small things and blowing them uh, not just out of proportion, but to a point where they're completely made up. Like it's, it's so phenomenal. Could you imagine like, the conversation? Sorry, could you imagine the conversation between these two British guys that led to him tweeting this? Like, someone had to come up to him and say, "You know, Mark Kermode." They were probably drunk, and he was like, "Yo, Mark Kermode reviewed The Invisible Man. I bet that fucking filthy liberal thought it was." Um uh, you know, a a feminist movie or whatever. And then someone had to like, believe that and then go and tweet it. Like the circumstances leading up to this tweet have to be insane.
1: Like, I, I love this Mark mode. Again, you're a, you're a true, you're a true hero. You should come on the show sometime. Uh, it's just a countdown until then. Uh, one of my favorite movie reviewers, but like, yeah, like this, I, I think it's like a, like the way that people consume films today, um, to get you know maybe a little bit outside the scope of the movie, I think is like it's almost like forty percent seeing the film, like or maybe even less. Like I think the the text itself has perhaps the least amount of importance it has ever had uh, in media consumption, and I I don't think this is a very hot take or an original idea. It's probably someone else's, but like it's everything that happens afterwards, like not just like the. You know, like media cycles that like require like hate clicks on everything, but like everyday people like love buying into this too. Like every movie has its place in the culture war. Um, and like all of the YouTube videos from like you know, epic red pill fedora tipper 69, um, like his three hour analysis of why the invisible man hates or <laughs> the erased man the toxic masculine the fake toxic masculine <laughs> the invisible man a three hour long youtube uh video like that's really how people like consume media and like I don't know if we're contributing to it because like obviously like I mean not every movie that we see you have to watch but like I am a big proponent of like making up your own mind <laughs> on pieces of media I like mean, and becoming a critical on... like media yeah. consumer and like I feel like like, all of the people, like, reacting to this tweet, most of them probably did not watch The Invisible Man. But it's just, like, you have to take sides on whether or not The Invisible Man is good. And, like, if you're, like, a brain-dead, you know, Brexit, you know, sausage man, then, like, you just need to tweet about, like, oh, man, I knew The Invisible Man grown up. He was a good bloke. <laughs> like, um, what the fuck is happening? Um,
0: Yeah, and I mean, like... I. I don't think we're contributing to it because, like, academic or, you know, just overall criticism of things, uh, good and bad, is, you know, a function of how we consume art. But the, again, like, this idea that everything has to be metaphor, right? I, if anyone's interested, you can go to my website and read about this, uh, last week. Um, but, like, you know, I was talking about J.J. J. Abrams and the Mystery Box. And one of the things I, I think the Mystery Box has done, which, um, is like really damaging is that a a show can 't be a show anymore it can 't be a show that has a set of values that we uh, that are you know reflected in modern society or reflect upon modern society that which by which we like consume things or whatever um but no, everything has to be again an explicit metaphor for something in the zeitgeist right like the good place is a metaphor for prison abolition oh no it's it's a metaphor for the um for the pratfalls of, like, carceral feminism. No, it's a metaphor for cancel culture, right? Um, uh, All these shows, uh, you know, Game of Thrones is really about American politics for these reasons, right? Westworld is about the 13th Amendment. It's like, no, no, none of these things were intentionally added in by the writers. Like, a writer might have thought, wow, the slavery of people who um, are not observed as human but have the capacity to be human might be an interesting subject because that comes from... Our real fucking world is still like an issue in the, you know, in the present day. Let's write about it. But, you know, unless it's, you know, Ava DuVernay making something like, um, you know, uh, her series about the Central Park Five. It's not it doesn't need to be explicitly connected to something we interpret. Right. It's shifts the feelings, shifts the emotions. It generates empathy or a lack of empathy from, uh you know, towards a certain topic based on what we consume that doesn't mean it is necessarily a reflection or a metaphor or explicitly tied into that topic and it's like it's like the ultimate um it's like the ultimate uh end game of something like the personal is political right where because i felt this way about this that must be the intention metaphor within the film it's like no it it obviously isn't it just knows how to how to play into and how to parlay these subjects into an interesting or uninteresting narrative Um, and that's sort of, that's sort of it, right? Like that's sort of the, the end of it all is like our media culture examines, uh, scrutinizes things in real time and generates those narratives in real time. And then, you know, those narratives sort of become normalized in real time, even though like, you know, the author probably did not intention it at all. The author probably had a set of themes and ideas that were, you know, politically inclined and then just sort of went with it, um, but there is no better example of this, Evan, than Armand White's review of Invisible Man, which I am now going to read.
1: <laughs> okay, I am excited for this. Uh, time to take a, a big sip of water.
0: Me too. Haha, see what I did there? Oh, man. The Invisible Man exposes the white male supremacy monster by Armand White. Okay elizabeth first line elizabeth moss's latest victim portrayal is repugnant he is not the victim here screams elizabeth moss heroine of invisible man uh blah 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 the film's title now refers to the hidden threat of an unseen yet lethal patriarchy but this movie doesn't fight against under-recognized male hegemony it is very much part of contemporary hollywood hegemony imposing social justice trends on our culture She's okay
1: that okay
0: yeah, yeah, she's imprisoned in his high-tech Bay Area cliffside mansion, a sort of hashtag Me Too Rapunzel, unfurling a long list of grievances. Okay, sure, <laughs>
1: I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Armand White just said Me Too Rapunzel. That is maybe a historic new low for both this show, my brain, and Armand White at the same time. Kudos, my good man.
0: I love it. He says, in short, this uh, new The Invisible Man is no fun. <laughs> Yeah, it
1: wasn't fun. It was horrifying.
0: I thought it was fun at parts. Like the the action sequences were genuinely pleasurable to watch. Right? Yeah, it, it, I I enjoyed watching the
1: movie, but like I I like was he expecting Guardians of the Galaxy? Like I
0: I don't know. Um. Uh, how could it be when we're subjected to more whining and whimpering from Moss? First scene making her preplanned oh. escape, <laughs> borrowed from Julia Roberts sleeping with the enemy, Moss negates the film's fairy tale bad romance aspects through her usual impertinence. She has made a career out of seeming to have never had a happy day in her life. This miserable outlook defines every Moss role from TV's Mad Men to The Handmaid's Tale.
1: Um, holy shit so uh, armand white is saying that he wish elizabeth moss would smile more
0: yeah basically i mean like i think there is um to give armand white some credit that he doesn't deserve there is like a valid question of elizabeth moss taking on roles of like um oppressed or imprisoned women and also being a extremely high-ranking scientologist like I don't think we should interrogate that too deeply on the show because it's been interrogated to death in the discourse, but there is something like keenly at odds with her career and her personal life. And like, I think it is worth divesting the two because she is literally an agent of a organization that imprisons and like horrifically uh, abuses people. Um, but I don't, Armand White does not mention that at all. Um, as the standard bearers for anti-entertainment, Moss and Le promote the perverse trend in which silly actresses think that empowerment justifies everything. They corrupt what was originally H.G. Wells' study of egotism turned to madness. It's now a lesson in misandry, a woman's justice broadside, with a particularly topical target to be named later. Um... Yeah, a Bloomhouse is unashamed of exploiting political fears and trashy genre vehicles. That's horror films in total, my dude. Like I don't know what else to tell you. Like that is um, just a cinema of horror. Instead of probing social anxieties as horror filmmakers from George Romero to Larry Cohen has done, Bloomhouse aims its message at fellow travelers. I do. You, can you decode that statement for me, Evan?
1: Um, I am not able to. Uh, We've got our top scientists working on it. Um, I'm basically in the Apollo control room and they're all just looking back at me, shrugging their shoulders. Um, Like I this is this is really baffling. Like uh, because at points he's like the evil liberals are imposing their culture on us. And then it's like, okay, like, you know, culture exists within like you know political divisions or whatever it's not supplanting okay um but then it's just like oh this isn't a horror movie because it's not socially conscious because it's too socially conscious so like i it's
0: a galaxy uh, brain take
1: yeah we need armand white to write up a follow-up piece to this
0: okay evan this next part i you just gotta let me get to the end of this one because this is incredible In classic Hollywood thrillers, female victims were idealized for their purity, intelligence, or sensuality. This allowed actresses from Hitchcock's Joan Fontaine, Tippi Hedren, to De Palma's Sissy Spacek, Angie Dickinson, Nancy Allen, and Rebecca Romagen to reach deeper into our compassion, rather than merely touching on topical attitudes. Profound humanism is lost when actresses are used polemically, making themselves over as token figures. Unfortunately, one must report that the Invisible Man gives Moss the no-makeup look... Throughout the film, she appears with blotchy, pale skin and pimples. Her hair sweaty and matted, as if to confirm last year's flop. Her smell. One L sickest (laughs) joke. uh, This is incredible. One L sickest joke occurs when Cecilia goes on a job interview and a flirtatious male calls her beautiful. Okay.
1: (laughs) So Armand is really. He's really pushed me this week. This is a really difficult moment for me and Armand White. Um, like, this is, like, abominable. Like, this is nuts. Like, so, first of all, Her Smell is a fantastic film. It was really uh, good. And, and like, just to have this, like, kind of, like, Trumpian, like, it was a flop, honey. No one liked it. It's like, fuck you, Armand. Where's your movie? Um, but, like, <laughs> you, and, like, yeah, like, of course, like, of course he contradicts himself between sentences. He's like, ah, old movies used to tokenize women based on being hot or being virgins. But Elizabeth Moss is tokenized in this movie, so it's bad. Um, um Which she's clearly not. Like, she's given a fairly complicated character. Um So just to, like, oh my god, like, I... I will... I- fascinated by armand's brain
0: i will say that for the last since we watched mad men together megan and i have been having a discourse about whether or not elizabeth moss is hot um i will say there is some there is a, a conversation being generated out of that but it has nothing to do with her treatment in the film it just has to do with like looking at you know hot photos for online being like is she hot or is she not hot um uh by the way for the record i'm firmly in the elizabeth moss's hot camp um, Thank for... you for clarifying your position. <laughs> Again, we. this is a, another Toxic Masculinity episode. Um, uh, this disgust continues in the... Okay, is there an undercurrent of hostility in Moss's co-sponsored degradation... Uh, scenes where she is stalked by mad genius Adrian require her to pantomime hands-free brutalization. Sympathy turns to disgust. This disgust continues the formulaic scenes of Cecilia's protectors, a useless black police detective, statuesque Aldous Hodge, and his college-pound daughter, who are also inevitably brutalized. Um... That these stereotypes of Bloomhouse pity become punching bags also suggest some secret antipathy. In this politicized version of the invisible man, the revenge motive <laughs> respects no bounds. One is grateful that Cecilia's unwanted pregnancy is not carried to the obvious conclusion. By the end, Cecilia's uh, distrust and ferocity support total condemnation. The invisible male is the phantom male, is every male.
1: Oh, oh, okay, so obviously he's getting a lot about the movie wrong, but like. So, yeah, to touch on, like, the unwanted pregnancy aspect of this movie, like, it's not clear, like, if she has an abortion or chooses to have the child. Like, that is not something that the movie delves into. It's probably the most
0: open-ended part of the movie.
1: Yeah, like, and, like, it's, oh, God, Armand. Like, he's, he's such a mad genius. But, yeah, like, we were just talking about it. But to say something like, I can't believe they politicized the invisible man is phenomenal, right? Like, it's like, movies are, to, like to Armand White, movies are a thing that do not have politics in them. They're just like, you know, light and sound um, that you sit in. And then the evil liberals come in, and they're like, you know what, this movie's about something now. It has a theme that one can extrapolate to our world, and then he just like gets incensed. And like now the the one thought that's circulating in my head is like, what would Armand White's movie look like?
0: like? I That's a really good question. And I think it would be the worst version of a John Waters movie. It would be John Waters meets Bamboozled, but right wing, you yeah. know, like that would be the, the ultimate Armand White film. It would be like this incoherent dance through like, it would be like an incoherent fucking, um, you know, Uncle Tom dance through uh, right-wing blackness is what it would be in bla- and right-wing queerness, right? Like, I don't think Armand White is incapable of, again, making a film with his set of values without explicitly stating within the movie, a la Elizabeth Banks and Charlie's Angels, this film is about being a, a gay black right-winger, right? Like, it's not yeah he he would make the same movie elizabeth banks made with charlie's angels only more profane and more ugly yeah um man i can i just stop for a second mention i'm so happy we're doing the way back next week like i am i'm genuinely excited for that movie i love basketball i love sad ben affleck um i think laura's back next week as well as we mentioned before which um you know, we'll be back at at a full strength roster, but like, I'm just excited to see a movie where we can talk about, you know, depressed dad energy, right?
1: I'm super hyped for it. Um, it looks like, um, and you know, maybe this is a hint at, you know, a potential guest. It basically looks like a sequel to triple frontier. Um, because like, obviously like the genre of dad, Ben Affleck movies where like he needs to reconcile like his divorce and poor life choices and addiction issues. Like, I am going to be there 100% of the time. And like, um, there's a new trailer. Uh, I, saw so I, it. That. I have a That's Google
0: a, alert for this movie. That's how excited I am.
1: Yeah. Like there's a new trailer that doesn't hint at all that he has like a problem with alcohol. Like, it's just like, this is an inspirational basketball movie. <laughs> and like the first trailer is all about sad Affleck. So like, I'm, I'm, I'm in the fucking tank for
0: the way back. I really hope we get that guest, by the way. Um, But yeah, uh, if Bloomhouse had integrity, it would have honored H.G. Wells' thesis that mankind's inherent narcissism implicates us all. (laughs) Paul Verovin realized this in Hollow Man. His 2000 version of Wells' sci-fi cautionary tale and perhaps only an artist of Verovin's puckish daring could successfully expand Bloomhouse's sensationalism into an expose of Hollywood collusion. Male power and female complicity. Again, Armand White with the victim blaming. Berovin's satirical fiery climax. You think you're God? I'll show you God, reproves Meryl Streep giving the appellation of God to Weinstein. The insidious idea of extrapolating white male dominance through a carnival of Trump, Lole, brutality, and bloodshed, all perpetrated by Adrian, <laughs> quotes, a world leader in the field of optics, <laughs> reflects back in the film itself. This Invisible Man is not entertainment. It's merely a domestic violence showcase for masochists. Well, I guess we're masochists, Evan.
1: Yeah, and like, again, like, this is a situation I, like, I don't know, it's commented on frequently, but like, you know, did we see two different movies? Like, I I think, I don't know how much of Armand White's work is in bad faith. Like, I'm sure he believes, like, what he's writing. But like, (laughs) to say that, like, this is like an exploitative domestic violence movie or something like that's not the movie I watched like and I think that this was also a movie that like implicated everyone and like the question of abuse and like I mean if you want to take it to the end like the question of revenge like Cecilia becomes a murderer to like extricate herself from you know this relationship so like I mean you can take from that whatever you want cuz like you're the viewer and it's the film but like it's it, it, like he's done it again he's done it again he's in my brain he is the Lex Luthor of this podcast
0: I mean and I I again I maintain he I know he writes for the National Review and stuff but like if you take film criticism as a deeply thought interrogation of uh you know the ideas and form present within A certain medium of art. Armand White is most likely the best popular film critic in the world today, simply on the basis of how well he argues his ideas. Right? Like this is someone who, uh, like, is intellectually from the right wing a juggernaut compared to someone like I know Ben Shapiro or Charlie Kirk or uh, even someone like Jordan Peterson. Right? Who Jordan Peterson comes from to it from a very obvious place like pseudo or faux or pop intellectualism and pop science whereas armand white actually knows what the fuck he's talking about which is why i think his reviews are while abhorrent very interesting and to read and to both read and comment on i just like man i wish i wish like when he had taken like film lit 101 or whatever he had also taken a class on marxism right like the amount of sheer power this person would command if they were uh like a an not even a fucking communist if they were just a social democrat would be unbelievable we'd have one by now you know what i mean um Uh,
1: marxist armand white uh would be both the most powerful and the most insufferable man alive uh i'm imagining him powering up dragon ball z-esque uh to like write a scathing review uh of like fast and furious nine i love to see it
0: yeah, you know, Fast and Furious 9 contains so much of the camera work present in I Am Cuba, but fails <laughs> but fails to understand, you know, in the rich tradition of socialist cinema, what made these, you know, massive battles so compelling. And then he'll, like, refer to, you know, the eight films made about the Napoleonic Wars or something. You know what I mean? I don't know. Fa- <laughs> Fast and Furious 10, uh, the deck is a different kind of decalogue. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my god
0: uh yeah that's the armand white review any final any final thoughts on Invisible man uh
1: i was a big fan of the invisible man um yeah i i thought it was like a very uh effective uh horror film um very smart about its themes uh great performances uh you should watch the movie
0: yeah, I thought it was both smart and sharp. I I felt like you know, again, it had said political values that didn't need to um, articulate in a way that you're like, ah, it's a Me Too movie. Um, but at the same time, yeah, it was incredibly well made, well restrained. Um, there's there's parts of it I really didn't like. Like I said, the ending I I really hated. Um, but just in general, I think it's like a very worthy horror film that understands the gravity of what it's portraying but also doesn't take itself too seriously which is sort of its genius um and yeah just it balances like its tonal exercise and especially its aesthetic like the camera work in this movie is phenomenal um like i haven't stopped and looked in a movie where i'm like oh the camera is amazing since i saw um upgrade if you saw that
1: (coughs) I didn't see it. No, yeah, but it's I'm, the same director.
0: Yeah, like, and that's where I'm like, oh, One L knows how to move a fucking camera, right? Because like the way the, the camera just tilts and moves and pivots and goes through like 3D space, it's like <laughs> it really is like a masterclass in visual storytelling. And if there's any reason you're going to see it outside of the fact that's just like a really good, entertaining, and like well done horror film is. It's like specific aesthetic value is so fucking tight, man. Like, I cannot articulate how good it is. Um, but yeah, uh, let's roll into our recommodations for this week. I will start. Um, I made a, a pseudo-recommodation last week for this, but I'm just going to reiterate and reaffirm. Um, Guys, guys, everyone out there, stop what you're doing. Turn on your um computer or go to your phone. Go to YouTube.com. Type in Marbula one. Uh, Yes. I know Evan shocked at all of this. Uh, Are you okay?
1: Yeah, I'm okay. I'm my body is just falling apart.
0: Okay. Um, well, the solution to that is Marbula one. Uh, you have to, everyone should be watching Marbula one. It is the most exciting competitive marbles have ever gotten. Um, there's qualifying every Saturday race, every Sunday, my boys, the Savage Speeders, I, I know the Marble community hates them, but I love them. Are very primed to win the championship after only two, three races. I know there's a lot more coming, but you know they got such a good boost on ahead that I'm rooting for them this whole way. Just just go fucking watch Marvel One, everyone, okay? Just do it right now. The second you stop listening to this episode, do it. How about yours, Evan?
1: Um, there's a lot uh I could Recomrade, uh, this week. Um, uh, I, I guess one of my Recomradations I might, I'm, I'm going to, uh, no, I'm just, I'm just going to have one. Uh, my Recomradation, uh, is, uh, keeping up with the news and building power across Alberta. Um, the budget came out, uh, recently, uh, obviously it's been on a lot of our minds. Uh, it's a pretty, you know, bleak time, uh, you know, provincially. Um, but, uh, yeah, there have been so many layoffs announced, uh, at like post-secondary institutions in the province. Um, uh, Northern like Alberta
0: it, Institute of Technology just announced two to 400 today, I think.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Two of our largest technical schools in the province have lost almost like 500 jobs or they've announced like 500 job losses within like two days of each other. Um, and like, obviously, like most of the public sector is getting a very raw deal from this government. So my recomradation is talking with your coworkers and the people you care about people who you know, work at these places, and like learning ways that you can respond, you know, big ways and small, it's all needed right now. Um, but I think like getting informed about what's going on and like, you can take this out to, you know, whatever's going on, uh, in, you know, your town or your province or your country. Um, but I think like a lot of this has been top of mind for me right now. Um, so, you know, get organizing. That's, that's my recomradation.
0: Like I mentioned, like I've been having a depression. I've been sort of housebound for the last three weeks. Like I have no desire to exit my apartment unless there's something I actually have to do um and so it's like it's been really interesting watching um all of this stuff go on right around me and like also feeling like you're not an active participant even though i you know work for a massive labor union that's right back campaigns and stuff like that um but i i think the one thing uh you know someone who's who's been fairly divested from organizing for the last couple of months because of uh, you know mental health issues is that that it has given me the clarity of, is like, I think it's time to to start talking to people in your circle that marching um isn't going to cut it anymore, right? Like, I think that that sure. is something that the left, and I mean the left from everyone, from like centrists who hate the Alberta government, to actual leftists, to quote-unquote, you know, progressives or whatever, anyone who is trying to take on like far right reactionary institutional power in any meaningful way just needs to understand is that marching is no longer a viable option. It just doesn't work. It's it's at this point, it's just a bleak loss and like think of joyous expressions of solidarity, right? Think about having like cookouts for your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, people you know will be affected. Uh, Use those to talk about issues, but also show that people are loved in their community. Like, you know, if you're not in a unionized workplace, start doing research and reaching out to unions and, and doing that, having those conversations. Right. If you're a part of something that's like more militant, start thinking about ways you can disrupt um, capital, uh, even in small ways. Right. Um, And stuff like that. Think about uh, how you can slow the trickle of what's happening and actually cause an impact, because like, you know what, Canada was losing, what, 70 million dollars a day. Because of, of the and protests, like people were shutting down railways and the government was fucking powerless to respond. <laughs> you know what I mean, like, like they sent the state in, they sent the fucking pigs in to to shut down railway blockades and then only more came out of it. Right. Then the government actually had to negotiate with a with a, you know, a nation that they've historically, even though they were told to by the Supreme Court, that they, you know, should be negotiating with in terms of land use and acknowledgement of unceded territory the government just avoided that now you're seeing that oh there's a negotiation happening and there might be a proposal on the table and that 100% came not because people were marching like the solidarity solidarity marches were great you know I'm very happy they happened but it wasn't the solidarity marches that did it it was people sitting on train tracks with you know large pieces of wood and metal and like barricades and saying we're not letting your oil, your grain, your goods, your money move through this land until our demands are met. And I think that's a lesson that like everyone can and should take from what happened in the last couple of weeks is that like marching is not a solution. In fact, it's in a way it's like a functional um method by which capitalism, you know, creates a release valve for us to feel like we've done something, right? Posting is not a solution. <laughs> Um, it actually involves like some sort of praxis, some sort of tangible political action. You can't do that alone.
1: Um, yeah, I, I 100% agree. Um, and uh, yeah, I think like to, I, I yeah, I agree with what you're saying. And like, especially like even thinking, not just thinking about like the ways we can win or what victory would even look like in contexts like this. Yeah, I, I think like refocusing on like the care work we can do for each other is going to be critical um, because, like, the, it's it sucks already, it's gonna suck more. Um, and, like, the like, I moving beyond promises of like, you know, somehow like affecting the status quo, like, it could take a long time until that happens. So, like, reevaluating how we're like, you know, relating to one another and like the kinds of things we do for each other, like, I think, like, if you can do that and like, even small ways like with the people who are in your own circle i think we can build up to you know that great like sanders campaign line of like fighting for someone you don't know right like it's we can get there a lot of people are there um but like yeah we gotta we gotta take care of each other and we gotta we gotta figure this shit out and you know build power outside of the systems that they want to be it that they want us to be in and feel powerless in
0: And, uh, yeah, if you're looking for an online community, you can find, uh, you know, if you live in rural anywhere or if you're just, you know, again, like me, housebound, um, we'll hop on to the Kino Lefter Discord and reach out to the people there. We have a a really great and wonderful community we've built, as always. The link will be in the show notes. And um, they're now doing, I think, every two weeks, they're now doing watch parties where everyone gets on a voice chat and syncs up a movie uh together so before it was parasite um this weekend it was uh uncut gems i'm curious to see i think the next one is going to be um color out of space so cool. uh, yeah it's it's awesome and like that wasn't you know pushed by us that was just you know a couple of people in the chat being like let's have fucking kino movie nights right and that absolutely fucking rules like makes me really happy that that's happening um yeah, so yeah, hop on the Discord. It's it's a really fantastic community of, of really wonderful people. Um and uh yeah, you can also find the show on Twitter at Kino Lefter and follow uh to that to see, you know, hot takes, uh whatever Evan's retweeting from the account these days and stuff like that. But um yeah, help uh, help boost the uh the Kino's social media output so we can become an unstoppable force that can challenge Armand White.
1: Yeah. And you, you can follow our social media and, uh, there are ways to contact Abdul and tell you, tell him that you, uh, like his work. Uh, I, I think we should, we've been pushing your, your writing Abdul Y Malik.com. Um, yeah. Um, uh, other things you can do for the show. Uh, you can give us a five-star review on iTunes or whatever pod service you use, but iTunes is a good one. Uh, and you know, I'll read your reviews on the air. Um, you can also go to patreon.com forward slash Kino Lefter, where if you start giving us $3 a month, you get Primo Lefter. Primo Lefter is our weekly premium show. Uh, so if you want two episodes a week from us, uh, it's a very good deal. Um, some, some recent episodes on there. We got Space Jam. We got The Circle. And coming up this week, we are going to be talking about the first few episodes of my new obsession, Love is Blind. So if you want to get on the Love is Blind uh, train now is the time we are choo choo. the patreon train is in the station uh your ticket is only three dollars
0: yep <clears throat> and uh yeah just in general thank you for listening to the show we love you we will see you next week with the way back um hopefully at full strength maybe with a plus one wink wink nudge nudge hint hint um and uh yeah hope you all have a great week and uh looking forward to the way back really looking forward to the way back thanks for listening bye
1: Kino lefter is part of a loose affiliation of left-wing podcasts hosted by the bilingual journalism collective ricochet this network includes news you can use
0: well reds out of left field radio free winnipeg 49th para health and more support Canadian podcasting support Canadian media and support ricochet at ricochet.media great podcast check them out